Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org slash podcast to view this podcast's show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. Hello there, friends. Before diving in the interview with our guest today, whom I will introduce just shortly, I'd like to say thank you. I'd like to say a word of appreciation to you, our dear listeners, for being cross-cultural servants. It may be that you are in a long-term cross-cultural ministry as an international service employee with the General Conference, or perhaps, perhaps you were sent by Adventist volunteer missions, or maybe you are a volunteer with Adventist Volunteer Services, or whatever is the way the Lord has brought you into the field, friends, we are deeply thankful that you are there. And we appreciate so much your faithfulness in this challenging ministry. Now, our guest today is Rick McEdward. Rick serves as president of the Middle East and North Africa Union. Rick and his wife, Marsha, are just those people They are our church's cross-cultural ministers, whom we appreciate very much. Rick has served in Sri Lanka, also the Philippines and the U.S., and most recently in Lebanon. Rick has a doctorate from Fuller Seminary in Intercultural Studies. Rick is a missions thinker, and he is a leader in our church. So, with this introduction, let's greet Rick and just uh, get right into the interview with him. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. I'm really excited to talk with you today. And to begin, would you please share with us, with our listeners, just a little more about you, what you what you are doing, where you have been, what's going on? Well, I was born in Seattle, Washington. The city of Seattle is unique because it is one of the least churched places in North America. Most people estimate that between 3 and 7% of the entire population of Seattle are churchgoers. So I was raised there. For the U.S., it's very... very That's very low. You know, in contrast with the Bible Belt, where 60 or even 70% sometimes goes. So it's a big secular city, beautiful place. And uh, growing up in that environment, going to church as a youth. But at some point along the journey, my parents left the church, and somehow God kept me in. And so I feel very grateful to God for giving me a unique journey, but one that probably is not like most people. But that secular city, when I was young in ministry, I was invited back to Seattle to do some church planting, facilitation of groups that had already started, but worked with them and in church planting. And so most of my ministry, I've been somehow involved or attached to planting churches, being a coach for church planters, or facilitating as an administrator. And I know that you have fabulous international experience. I did just mention a few in the introduction, but if you could tell me, just tell us just a little bit more about what happened when you were a teenager. Sure. Well, when I was a teenager, my father, I was 12 years old, came to the house one day and said, we're moving. I said, well, where are we moving to? And we had moved a lot, so moving wasn't a surprise. But when he opened his mouth, he said, we're moving to Saudi Arabia. I said, really? That's weird. 
I'm glad you guys are going to Saudi. Leave me behind. And they said, no, you're coming with us. And moving to Saudi Arabia for, my family was there for about six years altogether. I was only there for a little bit over two, two and a half years, coming back and forth a little bit because of schooling. I came to the, back to the U.S. for my boarding school. Maybe once, Rick, we will do a separate episode just on what it means to be a third culture kid. Sure, be happy how to. How does that influence yeah. what happens with uh, with the person in the future. But let me let me move on because I know that your time is valuable. And sure. So my my other question is this. You're uh, leading the work currently in Middle East North Africa Union and this territory faces great challenges. So what do missionary expatriates, ministers that the Seventh-day Adventist uh, World Church sends to Middle East North Africa face there in their cross-cultural ministry? Well, that's an excellent question. Let me paint the picture a little bit. So we have 20 nations Mm -hmm. in Middle East and North Africa. We call it MENA, and that'll probably be how I refer to it. Let's do it this way. So MENA is 20 countries ranging from on the west side, Morocco, all the way to Iran, north to Turkey, south to Sudan, and the whole Gulf of the oil-rich countries in the central Middle East. The only country that is not, Middle Eastern country that is not part of our territory is Israel because of the territorial battles that have existed for some time. In all 20 countries, we have 5,000 church members total. Now, 5,000 church members spread among 20 countries and there are 545 million population, which means we have about one church member for every 110,000 of the population. It's one of the least reached corridors of the world field. And so if a person comes to MENA as a pioneering worker, they may be in a large city that has no other Adventist in the city. That may... That must be pretty lonely for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and even maybe they are the first Adventist to step foot inside of a city. So the isolation, loneliness, and that sense you get when you're part of a church family, you have to totally reframe your mind that your now home group is your family until others, other disciples, are added. And that is very hard for people who come from a rich church environment. Exactly. Now, these are also the territories where any kind of proselytizing is prohibited by yeah. law. Right. Could you just comment maybe a little bit? On sure. This? You know, most, huge challenge. most of our countries, building a brick-and-mortar church is prohibited. Sometimes it would be prohibitively expensive, but in most cases, it's just not allowed by government or by the, the surroundings. So the whole idea of becoming a missionary where it may be illegal or not tolerated. There are some places where it's tolerated, but not really. You know, tolerated by government policy, but not tolerated by the, the people in the area where you go. So we attract people who tend to be risk takers because they're going to be out there on their own without much connection to other Adventists or even sometimes other Christians. And our usual methods that we are so accustomed to using in many other parts of the world apparently don't work. So how does, how does that dynamic play? Well, imagine doing a public evangelistic series in a large 
city in the 1040 window, especially in Mena, it's, it's just, impossible. It's impossible. It's, it's impossible. impossible. We have had some in a Christian neighborhood recently, and that was okay. But overall, the idea of any traditional method is you have to turn that whole idea on its head and say, I have to learn from scratch. I have to start something fresh. How am I going to build relationships? How am I going to disciple people? How am I going to make context? How am I going to mingle with people? You know, we know this quotation, you know, Christ method alone, mingle with people, seek who desire their good, etc. But how am I going to actually build those relationships without threatening them, with, without being a threat to them in their spiritual journey? So that's a difficult process. That's a, that's a very challenging area. And one thing that doesn't do us any good is the news cycle in America or other parts of the world where the Middle East is constantly in the news on the negative side. But actually speaking, most of our communities are safe. There are very few places in the Middle East that are really in turmoil. So it's safe to come in, generally speaking, very safe. It's safer to walk around in those neighborhoods in the middle of the night than it would be most cities in the U.S. But the whole idea of establishing relationships speaking the language, understanding the culture, understanding the worldview, and what a transformation it would take to move from a worldview that's focused on one kind of dominant background. A way of thought. A way of thinking. And it includes some predestination, some fatalistic thinking, etc., to a way of thought where God is love and that we have the freedom to choose to follow him and the freedom to choose to have a better life through our healthy lifestyle. That whole worldview transformation is really hard. And I'll just say, I think for most Adventists, we intend to share our, the gospel and to help somebody become an Adventist within a few short weeks. But in the Middle East, it's just not possible. We look at the transformation of worldview. Other people might call it, you know, conversion. But transformation of worldview to a biblical-focused worldview, we see that over years, not in days. Thank you, Rick. This particular phrase, transformation of worldview, is very much at home with our audience of cross-cultural Adventists, uh, pioneers, missionaries, workers. So we are are hearing you in that Mm -hmm. sense. Now, Many, many in our audience do not work in Middle East, North Africa, and some do, and we do have our precious friends, listeners who who are working there. My heart is also on fire because we've worked together. Absolutely. I've I've lived lived in Beirut. We miss your family so much. so. (laughs) So, Rick, now back to what you've been saying. Very difficult, very different world, very different approaches are needed. What are maybe some of those approaches that you have explored with your team? Well, first of all, we believe that every worker, whether it's a student or a family, needs to understand before expecting to be understood. So we want people to really listen. We want them to connect. Language study is very important. Cultural understanding. So there's the first piece of advice that I had when I moved to Sri Lanka is a mature pastor, Sri Lankan pastor, said to me, Pastor Rick, I just advise you to spend the first year listening. After that, you will earn the right to speak. 
but spend the first year listening. And I would give the same advice to every pioneering person in our territory, watch and observe. The second thing is we don't really intend to build chapels. We intend for the gospel to be in small communities that may be not as visible as a chapel. And then thirdly, we believe the organic experience of my walk with Jesus should be contagious and shouldn't be hidden. In the Middle East, there's n- you don't really have to hide spirituality. It's celebrated if you connect with people on a religious level, spiritual level, talking about the blessings that God has put in your life, the answered prayers, the different testimonial experiences from my walk with God. So when I'm in the grocery store line and start connecting with somebody, I don't avoid the use of the term God. So I, I, start, I start developing a spiritual connection with people really quickly. Out of that comes Bible stories. I'm sure you already have done a podcast with Pat Gustin, who is kind of a teacher in this area. But let me just say, for those who didn't haven't queued in to Pat's seminar, is that the formation of worldview for us that have been longtime Adventists, it mostly happens through whole Bible stories. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel and what he didn't eat right, right away. David slaying the giant. The covenant, the Ten Commandments and how they were given. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus touching the leper. Jesus healing the woman that had the issue for many years. Jesus with the Samaritan woman. Jesus with the centurion. So these stories actually help us to form a biblical worldview, a biblically formed worldview that helps us to understand who God is, who we are, and all the plans that God has for us somehow fit into his purposes. So there's a need for us to communicate to others, not in a text or not in a principle, but in a whole story. And that's how we're we're teaching people in, in Mena how to do. I am just thrilled to hear that um, a whole area in the most strategic place in our world, which is the 1040 window, and um, the Middle East North Africa MENA is right in the middle of that, uh, has chosen storytelling. And thank you for alluding to the podcast episode with Pat that we did. I will mention the number in the show notes as well. But Rick, you've mentioned something that I want to right jump on to. So you said that it has to be natural, mm-hmm. you know, weaved into the relationship with the person. So can you just maybe talk a little bit more about this natural way of telling stories? First of all, let me set the stage. As an American growing up, there is a division between the secular and the sacred. It comes out in our life, and when we're, we're talking to other people, and I think most Westerners have this, and most people educated through the Adventist system seem to get it. We divorce our secular conversations from our spiritual. Sabbath hours, we do spiritual conversations. Anything after that, we talk about football. We talk about whatever else. So there is a separation. And when we're out in the public, we don't usually talk about our relationship with God. It's because of the pressure of the secular in the West. There is always this kind of disconnect. And if you, individuality means You talk about your experience to me, I feel pressured. 
I feel like you're putting your experience onto me. So I hold back. I resist. So we have chosen in the West, more or less, not to talk about spirituality. And I think it's a mistake, even in the West. Mm -hmm. In the Middle East, people are organically spiritual. They are living in a religious environment. And to talk about your religious experience is valued. And so I do not avoid... I, I don't want to say I boast about it because that's not it at all, but I do not avoid talking about the hour I spend with Jesus. I, I spend studying the Kitab al-Muqaddas, the Holy Bible. In the Arabic, right? Right. I do not avoid saying I, I want to reflect on who God is an hour each day. Now, I, don't, I also admit that I don't make the full hour every day, sometimes traveling and all other things. But I, so I'm not making it a point of pride, but I'm making it a point of conversation. And I often will tell a, another person from another walk of faith, is there something that I can pray for you? Or I will pray for your son or your daughter. I'll pray for your marriage. And in all my years of ministry among Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, and secular people, I've only been requested not to pray for somebody once. And it was by a pseudo-Christian denomination, not by a person of another world religion. We do not have to hide to other world religions our spirituality. It should be bubbling up within us, naturally, out of our experience with God, out of our answered prayers. And maybe we need to even spend more time with the Lord or be more intentional about our prayer list, our prayer life, so that we can engage on that natural level. If it's not in us, it's not going to bubble up. Taste and see, right? Yeah, you absolutely. Cannot, you cannot give what you don't have. That's right. That's right. And what's very interesting about this is bringing stories into the picture, you know, whether personal experiences or little biblical situations into some kind of everyday routine situations uh -huh. that we have with people, whether it's it's a situation with a cashier when they dropped something, you know, and right. and we could mention a little story here or there with our friends, especially those that, that we are dealing with. So Rick, I know that your team has been developing some helpful tools mm -hmm. to help pioneers with, mm -hmm. with telling stories better. Mm -hmm. If you could share with us, because I, I think our wider audience would also at least appreciate knowing and maybe mm -hmm. even reaching out. First thing we do is, for our own background, we've developed a little library in our office. A lot of those are about storytelling and understanding Books how. Books about. Uh, yeah, yeah, about telling, about connecting with people, leading through story, etc. So we are trying to encourage. There's one book I'll mention. It's Making Disciples of Oral Learners. And this book is really succinct, it's short, but it gives the needed background for understanding that most of the world learn through story more than they learn through bullet points. I tend to think in bullet points, but stories are more natural and organic. So out of that, out of our reflection and review, We've started to develop resources, some using biblical stories. For instance, we have developed a set of stories about women in the Bible, five of them, little booklets, we'll call them, that actually retell their story in a way that will connect with our majority audience in the Middle East. And these are things that a woman can share with another woman who's their neighbor or friend. 
and, and it's totally story based. It's, it's just, all story based. It's just a story yeah. about yeah. this woman. And we also have been working on the stories of Daniel for our majority audience and how it connects. And these are, as we're getting testing them, pilot testing them, they're getting really strong reviews from the people that we're, we're sharing. We also have placed some of the Bible chapters, Psalms or stories, and it's still a project under development. Not, we're not concluded yet, but we have put them into audio form that people can listen to them and share them by WhatsApp. And some of these are psalms sung in an indigenous religious style that sounds a lot like what Chanting, you right? lo- like what you might hear when a call for prayer happens. And they are so beautifully done and so electric that when we share them, they get passed on hundreds. I mean, they just go around. Viral and people may not, not even know fully, and some people may criticize us for this, but people may not know fully that they're listening to direct, exact verses from the Holy Bible. And yet they're memorizing it. They're singing it and chanting it. And so they're actually maybe in an indirect way learning God's word in a way that they will never forget. Yeah. We're also doing some media where we're using stories. We have many places where we're now using testimonials, God's direct intervention in people's lives. So answered prayer, a dream or a vision, something like this, retelling people's personal stories with God. And we're sharing that through our media channels, various media entities that we, we have. And we believe that those retelling. We have scripture stories that way. We have the personal stories. We believe that those will make a tremendous impact with people. Now, a very natural question that anyone who's listening right now and is hungry for a resource like this, how can they contact maybe your publishing department sure. or whichever one that you'd want to feature? It's uh, simple. To, to, get, to get in touch with you guys over this. Info at Adventist Mena. Dot org info i n f o at adventist m e n a dot org and if you send a, a note there and if for any reason you don't get through to us post a comment and Alex will send us on absolutely yeah and of course Middle East North Africa Union as an organization is on social media so yeah. if you, if you just... we're we're there and I think most people can get my email address if they try if they really it, would, wanted it, to. it would be it wouldn't be hard. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Rick, we are concluding here, and my last question is this. Our audience are Seventh-day Adventists, uh, cross-cultural workers across the globe. Many of them are professionals. Yeah. Maybe in educational world, maybe in the medical world. Accounting, uh, others. All kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So how, how can they utilize this ability to tell stories for discipleship? What would you advise? To you? you know, my, my wife is a nurse. She works in our health ministries department. And when we were training for stories, she memorized word for word one of the gospel stories. And she wondered, will I ever be able to use this? Well, that evening, a couple who we are good friends with that are not Adventist in Beirut and our spiritual seekers, they're open. They wanted to go out to dinner. And during the course of the meal, the lady expressed some storms that she's going through. And Marcia happened to memorize the 
the exact words of Jesus calming the storm while the disciples were out on the Lake Sea of Galilee. And organically, from Marcia's mouth, she said, let me tell you this story. And she poured out the story, and the tears flowed down the lady's cheeks, and it welded our friendship together. And we go to their house, they come to ours, they come to Vespers at our university at times, and have memorized many of our songs now. So we believe that this is a fruitful friendship that will endure. But it's a beautiful way that anybody can do when you are willing to look for ministry opportunities in the people you interact with in your office or in the community. If you're at a school and a student's stressed out, nothing wrong to say, I want to pray for you. Do you mind? Or can I share this story with you? Maybe you're in the community and you're dealing with a dishonest leader of the community. How would Jesus handle that? And is there a story that's relevant? Is there ethical, moral, spiritual foundations through all those stories? There absolutely is. And there's doctrinal foundations through them all. So you can build continuity with storying in a way that you can't do it through anything else. Rick, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast and sharing with us today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Alex. Great to see you again, and Lord be with you. To conclude this week's episode, I'd like to share with you a couple community announcements. If you haven't seen the recent report Institute of World Mission did at Annual Council, you may want to see it. By the way, Annual Council is the year-end business meetings of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So we had an opportunity to present there to all the delegates, the members of the executive committee, the work, the nature of the work that the Institute of World Mission does for the global Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you are on Facebook, we actually published the video of this report to our Facebook page. If you haven't had a chance to like it yet, maybe it will be a good opportunity. Just go to your Facebook page, to your Facebook account, search in the search window for Institute of World Mission. Find it, like our page, and you will find the video right there. Last week, I shared with you that we will be launching a new course on how to do fundraising. And that will be specifically geared for those of us who are in an international Adventist employment in a missions engagement of one kind or another. So, as you remember, we will be launching this on November 15. It's actually going to become available to all of us. And I promise to share with you who will be the instructor of this course. So the instructor is Ryan Keogh. He has years of experience in East Asia, and throughout his career, he had practiced and also taught how to do fundraising. And he applied that field to the missionary's life and work. We are very happy to do this with Ryan and feel you will be interested in this as well. To this end, let me say goodbye for now. My name is Alex Ott, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. Mm